Space, the final frontier. These are the parables of the Starship Enterprise, Sacred Trek's continuing mission to seek out new understanding of ourselves and one another, boldly takes us to Star Trek, The Next Generation, Season 1, Episode 6, Lonely Among Us. Hello and welcome to Sacred Trek, everybody, the podcast that engages in community around the parables of Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your host, Kent Altman, and this is our executive producer, Christina Hartfield. Hi, Christina. How's it going today? So great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Are you ready to get this little shindig started? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's uh, what we got here. Let's go around the circle. Say hi, Nicole. Hi, Nicole. I'm just kidding. Sorry. (laughs) Hi. And also we have Becky. Hi, Becky. Hi. And we've got Mark. Hi, Mark. Hello. Hi. And we have Nisa. Hi, Nisa. Hi. How's it going? Good. Everybody's going good. Everybody's ready to go with uh, Lonely Among Us, right? Yeah. Yes. I'm doing robot hands because you can't see me. Robot. You know, I'm doing hands. a robot. <laughs> <laughs> she is doing robot hands. Yes. That was legit. I'm not lonely anymore. <laughs> yes. nice. Mission accomplished. Exactly. Well, I've been waiting to hear the parable. <laughs> so too, yeah. Please explain it to me. <laughs> Tell us what we want. <laughs> Let's jump in. The Enterprise is sent on a diplomatic mission to broker peace between longtime enemies and now concurrent Federation member applicants, the Antikins and the Seleg, two cultures with similarities to Earth and with gaping divides between them. But during the mission, the crew encounters a third species, a sentient energy life form, when it accidentally stumbles into the ship's systems and finds itself trapped. As it jumps from crew member to crew member, ultimately landing in Picard, the crew learns that there is more in common between us than there is that divides us. So that's what I watched. Okay, thank you. I, I really, really, like, I sit there and I watch it and I'm like, why are the Antikins and the Sele even in this episode? Because this episode yeah, good question. be about this other thing with Picard, right? And so for me, it comes from when we first meet them, there's a little bit of information where we get clues that the Antikins and Sele are kind of like ancient warring earth cultures and so i think that that's kind of a look at our past and the sentient energy life form that's exploring the universe is kind of a look at our future right and so there's one particular moment late in the episode where picard has been possessed by the the energy life form where he's giving that speech where he's explaining what has happened. The energy life form showed up. It was scared. It's trying to figure out whatever. And the key thing there is we deeply regret the death of Lieutenant Singh. The accidental death. The accidental death. Mm-hmm. You're right. The accidental. Mm-hmm. That plus um, the fact that the alien possessing Picard wants to go back out into its home and explore i think that he's not trying to cause picard harm or he or it or she or whatever it's about i don't belong here and the Mm -hmm. only way that i know to get out of this is to take picard with me and so it's it's trying to do little damage which i think is the federation right the federation doesn't want to cause damage to other cultures and so i'm just kind of looking at that and saying we are learning about each other here. Mm-hmm. Crew members are learning about crew members. We're expanding our minds. You know, you've got a lot of stuff about Worf going. The captain wants us to learn, learn, learn. Card so. says knowledge is always our primary mission. Right. Yeah. Learn, learn, learn. 
Um, I just, I couldn't help but like watch this episode and think, man, you could have used that makeup and costumes for Code of Honor. I'm just <laughs> right? saying, like, I, I just, I thought of that too. Um, those were but, the lizard guys, right? There. Right. Like those I were the lizard people. And then they were pretty bad. That was, oh, they weren't they were very good. Bad. Yeah. I guess I, I know we're not really talking about production, but in this case, it just seems so surprising superfluous that it totally took me out and I didn't get any of what you were saying but I think that's just also because I was also distracted while watching this episode <laughs> but now that I'm hearing you say it it makes a little bit more sense um so would the reptiles represent like the reptilian brain stuff like where we're back in our like oh well he just said former self so i'm just wondering if like going way back like that's like a stage that that's an interesting take on that our brains yeah i don't know it really is well especially interesting since the more uh yeah the antikens are more mammalian they've got all the fur and stuff and at the end of the episode the mammal eats the reptile so yeah that's true And everybody was kind of joking about it. I'm like, why are we not more concerned that one of your guests got eaten? I mean, (laughs) it seems like a big deal. Well, and I thought it was funny. And the captain was like, I've just had a long time. You handle that, number one. (laughs) I just thought he was like, you were going to leave me out here in the purple haze. (laughs) With Jimi Hendrix. I'm going to let you handle that problem. I'm going to go take a nap. (laughs) Mark, what do you think? Uh, You know, I got part of that. Kent, I was just not impressed with the Antikins and the Sele. That yeah, whole, I mean, right. from the weird conversations with the guy about the kind of meat that they eat and how they like to prepare it with the little mini lightsaber that he had. <laughs> and then the, the, the other one catching Riker with the, the oh noose God. on the... Lasso. You can't even walk around your ship without somebody trying to, glow you stick. know, yeah, get you with a glow <laughs> stick around the neck. In it. But the Explorer thing is the thing that... because. When they were coming up on that cloud, Picard said to go closer to it, to try to scan it. And as they moved closer to it, it moved closer to them. And then all of a sudden, they make contact. And so for me, it was always, you know, they picked up an explorer as they were exploring. Mm -hmm. They picked up their own explorer, who then the only way that that creature, that alien, could figure out what to do, because it was an energy creature is to just sort of go from one place to another through through the ship. And it just happened to be going into them to try to figure out and discover. Now, but my take on it was that this was, this was an explorer that was not following a directive of any sort mm. because they were taking over the, the bodies of other creatures in order to change their situation. You know, I think that yeah. by the time we get to the end, then there's an explanation. There's more of an explanation at the end. But during this, I was thinking, yeah, man, you know, this guy is trying to get somewhere. But if this is exploration, he's, you know, certainly kind of running roughshod over the crew. But wasn't he mostly trying to get home? Like yes. It seemed like the whole time he tried to take thought. over the like, more like E.T. Right, exactly. Didn't they say that it was, he got accidentally picked up? At the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was interesting to me to see the, um, to see a physical transference. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting that found its way to Picard. You know, he found an explorer and thought, this explorer will not have a problem going with me. Mm-hmm. A kindred spirit. Mm-hmm. So I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm going to present this creature Picard with what it really wants. We're going to go explore the universe. That makes me think of our pal who had enslaved the other being. Zorn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Let me ask this question. Who is us? And who gets to decide who us is? And Because the, the, the title of this episode is Lonely Among Us, meaning the crew of the Enterprise in this situation because they're the heroes of the show, but who does us apply to? Who gets to decide and when does it shift from them to us? The only thing I can think of is that the creature stuck in their ship is lonely among us on the ship and needs to get off. That's what I thought too. It's the only thing I can think of. Well, I I just feel like this whole show is trying to like drive home the point that there is no them versus us, that we're all connected. Mm-hmm. And so to have an episode where it feels like a them versus us doesn't quite 
connect. So this whole lonely among us, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Maybe make not making sense is part of what we're taking out of it. Mm. So the contrast of it not fitting in what we're usually seeing is the point. Maybe. I have to say that early on, at least at this point in the series, one person that always seems kind of lonely to me is Wesley. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. Wesley is still trying to find his way. And now he's got studying he has to do. He's an acting ensign and he's got stuff to do. Mm-hmm. But even he said to his mom, something along the lines of, I understand a lot of things that they don't know I do. And that was a great line because I think that it's true. And and he's starting to know that. Yeah. But that's a very lonely place to be, to know that you know things that other people might not realize or, or understand but not be in a position of any kind of authority. Right. So you've just got to kind of do what you're told. And he's got the additional layer of being a kid too. You know, tying back to when they were talking about how Wesley is like this prodigy, often prodigies are lonely because they know so much more. So I think maybe it's about Wesley. So I love the question his mom asked him when they saw each other again later um, in the day. And she said, solve any new problems today? That's how she like (laughs) greeted him. And then they proceeded to have a conversation about how he's ahead of everybody. And I thought that just really, to me, showed like a bunch of other conversations we don't get to see, but basically that that's their relationship. He probably gets to tell her all the time. I figured this out and nobody knows. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It also shows that, I mean, he may be lonely, but he's got her. Right. She knows how special she is and he can... You always got your mama. Mm-hmm. She tries to help him too. She's like, Wes, you're an acting ensign. You've got to let the commissioned officers do some of the work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> says, Mom, I've learned a lot more than they understand. So good. And I had, as obsessed with Wesley Crusher as I've been up to now, I haven't considered until you guys started talking about it here that maybe the show is about Wesley. Mm-hmm. The whole show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the whole show. But like, maybe. Gene Roddenberry's middle name is Wesley. Did we know that? Is it? Yep. I did not know that. Oh, wow. I told Ken something about Star Trek. <laughs> did anyone have that on their bingo card? Someone had trivia Maybe. that I don't know? That's great. She's going to be a nerd before That's we're done. That's right. I love it. Becky wins bingo. <laughs> I think it's interesting that the entity never approaches Wesley then. Ooh. You know what I mean? Um, Because I was thinking, you know, maybe it's attaching itself to the loneliest members of the crew because it's Worf, Mm. it's Beverly, and it's Picard. Look at you. You said you were distracted when you watched this. Yeah. (laughs) Way more than I did out of it. (laughs) I have a question. Why does it go to Worf first? Because it goes to war first, it and does. then when it comes back, it mentions, it, Data says, it, or Riker says, it goes to war first. first. Yeah. yeah, That's interesting. I don't know. I did notice that both of the men of color that it attacked ended up on the ground, while the mm. people it attacked didn't. Hmm. Oh, snap. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, so why did it go to war first? Like, Worf hasn't had very many significant moments that I can recall up to this point. Um, yeah. So, Ken, I I kind of want to ask you, like, why you think, mm. because you posed that question, so you must have some sort of idea, because mm. I can't think of anything. Good call, Nisa. <laughs> okay, so I, I challenge myself a little bit. On the top of my piece of paper, I write down a question that I think the episode is about before I watch the episode. And so the question that I wrote down for this episode is what is alien? And so maybe this energy form looks at the ship and sees all of these humans around and goes, oh, maybe this one's stronger. Or, oh, maybe this one can handle me. You know, because he does kill Singh. Yeah. It's too much energy for Singh. And Singh is the same person. So by that logic, why didn't it go to Data? Because Data is also not. Right. At the end, it said that it got into the computer system and discovered brain, the intelligence in the computer system. And it may not have been able to sense the sentience in data Mm -hmm. the same way it did in the other living organisms um, or something like that. And, you know, it got it used the computer at first as a conduit, but Mm. then it discovered stuff in it. 
Something about Data, though, is that to me, Data seems to be proving himself more and more human-like as the series progresses. Mm-hmm. So I would think that if I was this entity that a, a machine that possesses human-like qualities or at least a touch of humanism would be the perfect one to go to because it could handle it and then also kind of gauge it from a humanistic standpoint and maybe get it across a little bit better. So, but that's just my take. I think that there it was meant to be sort of random because it works its way through several different things and people before it finally finds Picard, before it finally finds first the helm system to try to mm-hmm. make the ship turn and then then the person that can actually order it to happen. Yeah. Let me push us a little beyond the parable here. Um, let's get into some truth and justice. The first thing I want to draw us to is this conflict between the Anticans and the Sele. There's this exchange between the Antican ambassador and Tasha. It goes like this. I admit some of my people are impulsive, and we all have a reason to hate the Sele. They appear to have the same feeling about you, sir. Ah, the nature of politics. <laughs> It does get to back to that question. What is what is alien? Who is us? You know, for the Anticans and the Sele, they are not a part of each other. Right. But in order to become members of the Federation, they have to be willing to be part of each other because the Federation is a cooperative. And so, like Tasha says, these don't seem to be very good member nature nations. And if we're in the nature of politics, I think it's interesting that what he called the nature of politics is actually that they hate each other, Mm. right? So it's possible that the reason why they aren't a good candidate for the Federation is because to them, the nature of politics is two groups hating each other. Conflict. That sucks. That is, it shouldn't be the nature of politics. Yeah. And it seems like it comes from, you're this affiliation, so I hate you, without there ever being a real discussion. Nobody knows why they hate each other. They just know that's what we do. That's just a part of our culture. They don't even interact. They can't even be near each other. Yeah, they got to be in separate parts of the ship. Downwind. It also (laughs) seems, you know, the fact that they talked about cultural and physical things, you know, I mean. Yes. That the, the, the... they didn't like the smell of one culture or the other, and they right. didn't like the diet of one culture, the way that they behaved, or, you know, those are cultural and racial things that, that between two different, you know, groups. To get back to like us today, there are, there were speeches written by um, white people that were like, black people stink. And they eat like the innards of, you know, they eat chitlins and they eat the intestines, blah, blah, blah. Like literally there have been movements founded off of something as stupid, in my opinion, as, well, they just smell bad or they just eat gross things. And it's absolutely, first of all, it's not true. Um, And then it's just kind of, kind of dumb. Yeah. When you sit back and analyze it. say they're not like us, so I hate them. Yep which actually has absolutely, that doesn't track. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But that ties back to the them versus us thing that Kent was right. talking about. Yes. It's it's an excellent question then that who is them and who is us? And I think that the answer is us is us. There is no them. There is only us. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. Found it oddly disturbing that the people that were invaded by this um, alien and then when it moved on to wherever else, that they lost the memory of the time that they were invaded. Oh. So it wasn't a shared experience at all. Well, it, wasn't. it was a loss of control and, in fact, even interesting, yeah. knowledge. Or you, they didn't learn anything from it. Right. It, it didn't exist for them. Yes. And in fact, the thing that bummed me out the most is at the end, because Picard has no memory of it. Picard no. became an energy being out in space and he doesn't get to remember that that sucks man that's awful yeah and it's not what the being when the being was in picard and was talking to the crew 
that's not how he framed it up. Yeah. He framed it up like, oh, this is what Picard wants. And this is what we're going to do together. And it's going to be great. Mm. But, the, but you're right. There wasn't, it didn't seem to be a shared experience. If you want to tie it to spirituality, he basically becomes like God or God-like and then does all of this crazy stuff that he is never going to get to remember or share with somebody mm -hmm. else. Like mm -hmm. it's this. I, I feel like it's a loss. It's yes. a great loss. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that that happens a lot in this episode is the concept of investigation. Yes. Whether or not, you know, it's done for humor, there's still quite a bit of actual investigation that happens on the part of the crew trying to figure out how their almost brand new ship is not working properly. And Beverly trying to figure out how she lost this period of time and then interviewing Worf and then getting our intrepid counselor and Troy involved in, and then doing hypnosis. I mean, there was a lot of investigating without even bringing Sherlock Holmes into the mix. There was a lot of investigating. And I found that to be interesting because I was like, I would have loved to have seen all this happening and have it matter. So could it be like a tie to the point of highlighting the fact that our purpose is investigating even during circumstances where we don't exactly know what's going on or we might not even remember? Yeah, investigation just... is a kind of exploration. Mm -hmm. I mean, if mm -hmm. you look at it that way. Oh, I like that. And that's what we're here to do. That's beautiful. Search for knowledge primary is our primary mission. That's right. I just think it's interesting that the entity basically has the exact opposite of the prime directive. Mm -hmm. Like its mission is interference. At least right this in this moment it is for sure. But it's mm -hmm. a very by any means necessary type of. Yeah. yeah. Um, this has a, an opposite side to it too, that prevents it from moving forward and it um, prevents communication. And that is the concept of blame, which we see a little tiny bit here. I mean, obviously, there's some stuff between the Anticons and the Sele, and they can blame each other. And, you know, they all have a reason to hate the Sele, whatever. But there's this scene where um, Picard says, you need to explain this to me, Mr. Singh, and you don't have the time that you need to have for it. This is your problem. So fix it, you know, and there's little echoes of how do we communicate if we're blaming each other for our plight? You can't. I mean, you can't effectively communicate when you're blaming somebody because you're not open enough mm -hmm. to whatever information they're going to give you because in your head, that person's already wrong because you're blaming them. Right. And in that instance, you just want to hear what you mm -hmm. want to hear. Sure. And on the other side of that, when you're getting blamed, you're shutting down. You're not going to want to communicate. So, mm -hmm. Right. But I think it's interesting that he's the one that ended up dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Blame is deadly. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yes. Rest in peace, Mr. Singh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Miss. It's like engineering is like the defense against the dark oh. art position. Oh, <laughs> it <laughs> is. <laughs> At least right now. Oh, yeah. Watch oh, out, yeah. Argyle. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the concept of familiarity. Mm. We have a really weird collection of events that happen in this and mostly surrounding Dr. Beverly Crusher, wherein every single person she interacts with goes, huh, there's something weird about you right now, but I'm not going to ask what it is. <laughs> I'm just curious to ask you guys, like, do you feel comfortable with the people who are your people enough to know if they've been altered are you familiar with your people and would you be able to tell if someone was possessed um i it makes me think um it ties back to me with mental illness because i i have bipolar too mm. and um there are moments where i'm really manic and moments when i'm really really depressed so, and it makes me think about people who aren't diagnosed or who don't have it. And it makes me think of how many times we write off the people in our lives when they're going through something. Maybe it's because of our own discomfort. We don't want to deal with whatever they're mm. going through right now. So I'm not going to ask you. Or maybe it's because we think that person is so strong and so capable that they'll just get over whatever they're going through right now and they don't need me to interfere. 
And so I guess my question is followed up with another question. It's like, yes, it's also how well do you know your people, but it's also how well do you know yourself to know why you're not asking those questions? Hmm. I find I ask the question as a teacher, um, I teach high school and oftentimes if a kid is off, they're also having like a behavioral issue. Like all of a sudden Mm -hmm. they might be doing something that was not a good choice. And so instead of like addressing that choice, if I can catch it, most of the time I will take the kid in the hall and say, are you okay? And every time there is something big or off or hunger, or there is a literal other thing Mm -hmm. that has invaded their space, that their energy is, is different. So, um, so I guess the answer is I try, I try to tune into that. You're good at that. Thanks. <laughs> but it's just really, I think it's important yeah. because honestly, then they're, they're feeling seen. I wish I had a teacher like you, Nicole, because like after my diagnosis, I thought back to like my teenage years and I was like, man, if somebody would have just asked yeah, instead of writing it off as, well, she's just being lazy. That's why her homework's not turned in or, you know, she's, she's just unhygienic that's why i can tell she hasn't brushed her teeth in three days you know what i mean like if somebody would have asked then maybe i would have had the strength to go okay maybe there is something wrong and then to share and then maybe seek out help yeah no nicole like you are amazing for doing that (laughs) well it's really i will say right now it's a sucky time in pandemic world because everything in school has changed and every kid's baseline is jacked up. Yeah. We're really basically yeah. all asking each other that question and then above, you know, because it's just hard. This is a very hard time for them to try to learn. And I don't know, Mark, if that's happening on the college level too. Yeah, it is. I've had to send more students to counseling this semester than in the previous, I don't know, three years um, because it's just been hard. Yeah. So I think that Kent all the way back to what you were originally asking, I think that it's a question of, you're right, it's familiarity. And I think that, you know, teachers especially, because we spend a certain amount of time with a group of people, you don't see them constantly, but you see them enough to get a sense of of what's going on with them. And if I have them in a production, then I see them even more. I've had more than one of my cast members come to me and say, they were sorry the show was over because mm-hmm. now they don't have anywhere to go. Yep. Cause I found theater in high school. Um, I had done it since I was a kid, but like I started getting really deep into it. And I like looking back on it, I noticed that when I was on my depressive swing, I would ditch my classes to hang out in the theater room. And my, my theater teacher director, Mrs. Peggy Self was absolutely phenomenal. And she was one of the few people that, even though she didn't directly ask what's wrong, she just kind of knew and would just let me be there. Made a space where you allowed you. Yeah, and created a space. Yay, teachers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think that they recognize pretty quickly the, the the crew members. I'm sorry, I keep going back to the show. Well, that's a that's a yeah. cool idea. What we're talking about a show? <laughs> um, I think the crew members seem to recognize pretty quickly when somebody's off. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Worf is violent, and Beverly eventually gets weird. Like when she's on the bridge, yeah. she doesn't know what to do. Yeah, and Picard, it, it's immediately. I mean, it's almost immediate. Yeah. With, with the bridge crew they're when like they had that meeting about Picard what's going on I mean it, it was an intervention meeting and then what was in their way was the rules of how to call it mm-hmm. like they were ahead of it their intuition was yeah. all together Picard is off but then they were like shoot we got all these rules that he hasn't officially done anything yet yeah. um, and so we have to wait so I thought they were so in tune with each other and Deanna was like yeah I sense that he's dangerous or like could I could be or could be. Yeah. And the end of the meeting was, well, they were like, he hasn't done anything yet. And she was like, well, he's about to. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Deanna was like. I also like that the end of that meeting by going, okay, well, Riker, this is on you. Good luck with this. You know. <laughs> also, we then see that it takes a woman. Beverly Crusher is the only one with the balls to ask him directly if there's a problem. And what happened? He answered. And he answered. He didn't answer. The being answered on his behalf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, honestly. And the being answered because she was alone with him. 
Well, and I also think that she was being very familiar with him too. She called him Jean-Luc. She didn't call him Captain or Picard. She was extremely familiar. She gets to. You know, but one of the things that is the concept of the dangers of absolute authority Mm. being in the hands of one individual. And they went through what the rules were to deal with it. But again, as it was pointed out, there was nothing overt about any of this. Yeah. You know, they just had a feeling. Unfortunately, Deanna's feelings aren't, aren't enough proof to take an action that can overrule his orders. It's crazy because that's her whole job, right? I mean, that's the whole point. Exactly. So to me, it's kind of like after this, they may need to revisit whether or not that needs to be a part of the criteria. You know? Right. I don't know, though. I mean, sometimes you change the rules. That puts a lot of control in the hands of that person. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's hard to know what to do. Well, but even Riker didn't have that. I mean, I guess ultimately it was his call. But remember, he said, yeah, all of the senior officers have to agree that. Right. Mm-hmm. And Beverly Crusher also had a route. Mm-hmm. To right. That. But she had to have she had to have a log, sure. mm-hmm. have some documentation, documentation. <laughs> and data who is you just know. doing what data does was sitting there explaining. We don't have the information that we need in order to do this yet. But I, I always had a problem with the concept of, you know, single individual power. Absolute power. There's an absolute power moment that happens with the entity in possession of Picard that I wanted to point at and talk a lot about a little bit because it's kind of creepy and scary and a little too real for me um, because he says, I consider it equally possible that there are that the two of you and Counselor Troy are overworked and possibly suffering hallucinations. Uh-huh. So it's that turning it around and saying that someone else is what they're saying you are. And how do you... Is that gaslighting? Is that what gaslighting is? Yeah, I was just going to say that's gaslighting. Gaslighting. Gary. Exactly. Sadie agrees. My dog agrees. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Since we're talking about familiarity a little bit, Counselor Troy brings it up. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to take us through the wormhole with this. She talks about duality. And she says, when you approach a decision and ask yourself which way to go, who are you talking to? She says that to Picard. Right? Like, he asked, why didn't you say this before? And she's like, well, you all feel this way to us all the time. Beta Zords just feel your duality. Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah, that was interesting. What do you guys think about that? It's a little more, um, I think, esoteric than the idea of just being familiar with It makes me think of, like, prayer. Mm Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when people pray about something, often when they're praying about like a decision, they already know where they want to go with it. And it's almost like you're asking for the confirmation. But the other times when you're praying, it's because you don't know. And so you're seeking out the the knowledge and you're asking for that knowledge to be put upon you. So I think that that's, that's interesting. I think that just ties back to the whole, you have to know yourself and know the situation be honest about it because sometimes when you're asking a question you already know the answer so you just kind of have to follow your first mind but when you don't know those are the times like you seek outside of yourself well i think sometimes you also seek inside of yourself i mean i think that we have an internal socratic method going on all the time where we are asking questions and discussing possible answers in our own head just to cover the possibilities. Mm. I think that we all have that sort of duality. It's interesting because what I wonder is, are there species that don't have that? Does that mean that they don't have an inner monologue? I've heard that there are (laughs) not only just other species, but humans that don't have an inner monologue. That was a recent discovery that like, I have this voice, I, I can hear myself talking and that there are some people that don't have that other voice it's more like visual and they actually do not hear words it blows my mind because my inner monologue is loud um (laughs) um, but i also think sometimes that's like could be heart and mind you have Mm -hmm. like who you are and then our mind has its own almost like that being (laughs) but like my mind i don't know like it's like that's what's talking to like me if your heart and mind talk to each other is that like logic and emotion i mean that sort of idea between the maybe like my soul is different than my brain it to me 
No, that makes that's cool though. I like that. And then when they go at odds with each other too, it creates like this whole other mm-hmm. conflict. Um, Cause like I have those moments where I literally will have out loud conversations by myself where I go back and forth and I'm like, no, we have to do this. Well, what about, well, because I don't think blah, blah, blah. And if somebody looked at that, they would pinpoint that as being crazy. <laughs> but <laughs> nah. for the little people on the shoulders. Right. Legit. I think it's interesting that the first thing you said, when you equated it with prayer. So maybe for some people, the voice inside their head that they talk to mm. is like God, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you're praying to it. So that's interesting. I like the duality thing. And what about you, Becky? I assume you don't pray. So how do you come down on this? I don't. You know, it's interesting because I was religious. I went to seminary and studied to be a pastor and Mm -hmm. Honestly, in addition to recognizing that I did not agree or want to buy into the specific theology that I was Mm -hmm. learning, I also came to a point where I felt that I recognized that I was talking to myself when I would pray. Mm -hmm. That was one of the points at which I determined that humanity is is it you know we are we are what's here and it's up to us as opposed to Mm -hmm. some external deity to sure handle stuff Mm -hmm. but so so interesting because that's what came up for me is that you know who are you talking to in your head Mm. it just took me back to that that experience i have somewhat of a belief that we're all physical manifestations of god like there's little bits of god in all of us and god is living their journey through us i think it's interesting because like i also think that when you pray sometimes you are talking to yourself just like you were saying but you're talking to that piece of yourself that is the extension that leads back to god but that's my belief and i know that sounds really freaking weird but no not at all (laughs) it makes perfect sense in fact the quakers um society of friends quakers one of their fundamental beliefs is that all humans have the light inside of them and that is you know the connection to god or deity um that people recognize in one another and relate to in one another so So that's cool yeah that's beautiful I think that it's, this is so interesting to be talking about, but I try to like kind of have prayer throughout the day, very conversational, if that makes any sense. It doesn't feel like, I mean, I definitely talk to myself. I'm, <laughs> I definitely do that. But it, so it does feel different when it's prayerful is what I think I'm trying to say. Like I, I, I'm an out loud processor. And so, um, so that there's happens. a difference between where did I leave my keys? And- <laughs> right. No, that can be a prayer. I feel like that's a prayer. And, and then sometimes it's where did I leave my keys, Lord? Um, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. I just think it's really cool that we're having a conversation about all of our different beliefs and that it's really peaceful and it's constructive and we're all learning from each other and we're all being really open. I think that this is a amazing experience right now. And I wish more people were able to have that. Amen. So, sure. Yeah. I would definitely take this opportunity to invite our listeners to have that conversation with us. Oh, yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. Absolutely. So you guys let us know. What do you think about duality and prayer? <laughs> How do you pray? Yeah. And That's the right. voices in your heads. I mean, as Nicole said, I learned that earlier this year too. I was shocked yeah. when I saw that article floating around that said some people don't have a running monologue in their head. I'm like, oh yeah. Like That's right. But what if my actor friends doesn't have one? Really? Yeah. So what is it? Like an internal comic strip or something? I mean I asked them about it and they were like, I I don't know how to talk about no, it. No, because I can't compare it. I Because I can't yeah, compare yeah. it to your experience because I don't have right. that. I just do it. Which is why we need to talk to each other more about what our own, what's inside our heads. Yeah. Because otherwise, how would you know what's in other people's heads? Right. We need to become more familiar with each other. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well done. 
full circle. <laughs> don't be lonely among us. Don't. Don't be lonely among us. Share your thoughts. Oh, we found it. We, we found, found the it. point of this episode. There we go. Found it. That's what happens when you get in community and talk about your spirituality. Absolutely. Um, I wanna I wanna drive us to Picard for a second. Um, because I find a couple of moments of grace with him and I just wanted to talk to you guys about that. Um he is the first time we see it really graceful with data with the pipe in his mouth he just kind of looks at him and he's like uh do you really need that come on man put that down so i just wanted to ask you guys what you think about our hero in this one i think that he he had a very graceful episode with the possible exception of the, that moment with poor Mr. Singh, oh, where he yeah. kind of went off on him for being concerned he wasn't going to be able to get it done in time. But you're right. He, he had some other really good moments with people, even just dealing with data. I'll say that it's one of the things that I think makes him a, a superior leader. Yeah. His grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of like that Picard kind of lost his cool with Singh, not like for a storytelling standpoint, but it was just a glimpse of it was human. You can still be a great leader and don't beat yourself up about the times where you aren't as graceful as you should Mm -hmm. be and take it as a learning moment to have grace under fire, literally grace under fire. Yes. I think about it too, from the other standpoint, you know, when you're in a situation and for some reason, I, something happens, um, you know, a mistake or whatever. And the person that I'm dealing with responds with grace. It's just such an illustrative moment. Like, Oh, that's, I'm going to channel that next time because of the way it made me feel, right? You know, obviously everybody loses their cool sometimes and that sort of thing, but, you know, kind of recognizing when you are on the other end of it and somebody could be a real jerk to you and instead they're like, no big deal. You know, I find that kind of inspiring. That's inspiring and it's like humbling too, almost. And from the side of the person showing grace or providing the grace, it's also a way to, I mean, you can be in a situation that's like a level 10 or a level nine or 10. And if you are able to, to manage gathering yourself enough to show grace in that moment, you diffuse that moment so quickly. And um, that is a really powerful tool mm-hmm. because they have a reaction like what you guys were just talking about. So Giving them the space. It also makes you feel seen. So yeah, the, the grace transfers. Like the entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Like the entity. Yes. Ooh. I like that. Yeah. I was thinking about when you miss a moment to give grace. Those are hard too. Because I think in leadership, when you're doing a lot of stuff in like rapid fire, and I, I kind of see that in Picard, it's really hard to stay on the grace train all day long. And so, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I feel that it is important to at least recognize the entrance of Data's interest in Sherlock Holmes in this episode. Data is trying to be more human. And so what better human for a android to latch onto than perhaps one of the most logical, observant humans ever written in literature? I mean, almost android-like humans. Really? It's yeah. such a perfect match for him. Yeah. If no other reason to, than to realize that he's perhaps closer than he yeah. thinks. Because didn't Sherlock, the way he collected data, like really fast, like he would just yeah. deduct things. Encyclopedic knowledge. I mean, very data like. Really. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. really neat. And just the ability to walk in and observe things that most people don't notice, which is what data has already been mm, doing. And- it's like very on the spectrum yeah, almost. You're right. Mm. Like I used to work with autistic kids and they would pick up on so much like Mm -hmm. areas where you know people think that they should be they were a little behind in but in other areas they were just way above and beyond and it's just so mesmerizing yeah to see i the idea of um data as representing the autism spectrum is fascinating Mm-hmm. That's really that's really cool. I think that we have misidentified autism as a disease or a disorder or whatever we call it now. I think it's wrong. I think that it's an evolution. And I think that those kids are gaining magic powers that the rest of us don't have. 
And sometimes that costs something, but I think it's like Data. He sees things in the crew that they don't see in themselves, and he believes things about them that I don't know that they even know. And he's so loyal to them for the things that he sees and for the things that he knows that they can give him and for the things that he knows he can give them too. You know, it's a two way street for data and data understands that about humanity. I think more than anybody except for counselor Troy and Dr. Crusher, um, that humanity is a relationship. Yeah. And yeah, Hmm. I think that's magic. I love this reading. Yeah, me too. Indubitably. <laughs> Elementary, my dear. And he said, on, on the contrary, my dear colleague. It was adorable. <laughs> yeah. So good. I think we've arrived at the point in our evening where we do some blessings. Um who would like to bring a blessing my blessing is for will Riker. <gasps> yay he had to deal with those crazy guests on the ship who had to be more than 100 yards apart and downwind and who caught him around the neck with a glow stick <laughs> but yet he still found time to laugh at data in his silliness and and his and his joy at being sherlock holmes and yep he had to Face down Picard a couple of times, which is never an easy thing for for Riker to do. Yeah. He had to then go through the whole process of, okay, now I'm in charge and I got to make really crazy decisions about what are we going to do. Yeah. And then in the end, he still had to be, you know, Picard goes take a nap and he still, (laughs) still gets left like, how did this happen to me? I had a really bad day. So, you know, may we all have the patience sense of humor and common sense of Riker in the midst of a oh, really I love bad it. day. That's awesome. Can I, actually, can I tack on to that? Yeah, go ahead. I particularly appreciated the scene where he was talking to the two, um, you know... Uh, Antitans? Yeah, thank you, the, the aliens. And they were talking about their diet and they were talking about the animals this and that and he explained you know we are beyond the point now where we use animals for food you know we create them out of this and i yeah i mean that makes me happy mm-hmm. awesome yeah nisa do you have a blessing i have a blessing mine comes from dr beverly crusher in that moment where um she calls Captain Picard by his first name, Jean-Luc. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. My blessing is when someone you love is obviously in distress, your familiarity and love could be their savior. Oh, that was good. That's awesome and true. <laughs> so mine is a little bit more fun. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that Data is so curious. And I just, the moment he heard about Sherlock like his eyes was like he was like and then the next time you see him he has a pipe and I just I feel like I really relate to that because if I see something I like I'm like oh I want to learn it I don't have the same brain that he had but anyway it was really fun to watch so I I also loved a quote that he said a mystery is only a mystery as long as it remains uninvestigated so my blessing is just that our curiosity is just full. And if we see something we want to learn about, learn about it. And thank you, Data, for that opportunity for us to explore. Yay! <laughs> Be Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Nicole, you and I sharing a brain. That is exactly what my blessing was. <laughs> right down to the quote, Data's curiosity and his commitment to becoming more human benefited everybody because he really did help with the investigations by trying to yes Sherlock Holmes so yeah get out of my brain girl (laughs) (laughs) Beverly said (laughs) yes it is what she said (laughs) so Kent what do you have I actually wanted to lament this time because I was a little bothered in this episode by Tasha and this is this is something we don't typically talk about but I think that Tasha was very badly written in this episode she's dumb she makes dumb dumb moments um to me and it's not that she's dumb it's the other characters make her dumb and there's this moment where um 
Riker turns to the ambassador and he says, Lieutenant Yar was confused, you know, and that's not a graceful way to handle a diplomatic situation. You just undercut your officer. You are undercutting this woman who then has to deal with these people and these people are violent, you know, we know that about them. And so I just, I was really disturbed by how much crap Tasha took in this episode from the men and from these ambassadors. And even when she shows up at the end with a very important thing to say that there is a dead ambassador on the ship and the other ambassador is about to eat him, Riker is like, um, excuse me. No, yeah, what we're not going to talk about that in front of the captain. The captain just got back. Like, what do you say? Yeah, this yeah. Is, yeah, it's, it's literal life and death. And they're treating Tasha like she's at the kids' table, you know, and not being in the conversation. And I just, I didn't like that. In the, in the spirit of lamenting, I guess my hope for the future is that they treat Tasha better. <laughs> And <laughs> that they that yeah. they um, that they listen to her more, and that they learn to um, trust her expertise because she is trained, and she does know what she's talking about, and she is good at her job, and we see her continue to do that um, in various places. And I guess my hope for our world is just that we continue to recognize women as people and not props and not story devices and that as we're writing we write women who are real and worth having out there not caricatures right and who speak up for themselves yeah because she should have spoken up several times she should have that was a good lament kent that was a good point i'm glad you brought it yeah. up yeah thank you thanks for for wanting to see women in that way too. It's awesome. I love women. I think you guys are awesome. You're gonna save the world. I love women too. <laughs> nice, Mark. <laughs> that was a very Riker statement there, Mark. It was. I could have put money on that. <laughs> Bingo, Mark was creepy. <laughs> oh no. Okay, that's not what I meant. That's what I meant. <laughs> love you, honey. Well, y'all, that is our show today. Um, I want to say thank you to our Federation, Nisa, Mark, Becky, Nicole, Christina, Carissa, we missed you and we will see you all again. And I want to say thank you, especially to our listening community, because without you guys, we could not be doing this. Please do rate and review, subscribe, like, and share Sacred Check. It really does help the show grow and be successful. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Sacred Check Podcast. If you like what we do here and want to help us keep making the show, head over to www.patreon.com slash lastmidnightproductions and help sustain the show. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacredtrek at lastmidnightproductions.com or sign up for our newsletter at lastmidnightproductions.com slash sacredtrek. Thank you again for joining us today. Thank you all for being here in the Sacred Trek today. We will be back next week with season one, episode seven called Justice. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask and go with love. For Sacred Trek and Last Midnight Productions, I'm Kent Altman. Live long and prosper. Last Midnight Productions.